0: In the spirit of reconciliation advocacy for inclusion acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout australia and their connection to land sea and community we pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples today <music> Welcome to Advocacy for Inclusion's Staying Connected podcast. Guardianship's been in the headlines recently, and I thought it might be helpful to revisit what guardianship's all about. Why does it matter? How is a guardian appointed? What are the things that guardians are meant to do? And what limits are applied to the scope of what they can do? This is a really important topic because it involves one person, a substitute decision maker, making decisions on behalf of another person. And that's an exception to that general rule that individuals should be left to make their own choices and decisions about their lives, and they have a right to do that. In our early podcasts on supported decision making, we really emphasise the deep importance of people making their own choices and decisions in their lives. We explored the power and the importance of personal decision-making. Appointing someone else to make decisions for a person is a very serious matter, and it requires a great amount of justification and clarification. So I thought in this podcast I wanted to go through some really simple points about guardianship, what I say is coming from the legislation and how things happen in the Canberra community. If you're in another state or territory and you want to know more, please check out the information at your state or territory government websites. Okay, so let's get into some simple points that are really important. So the first point is, a substitute decision maker or a guardian is someone who has been legally appointed to be a guardian. So in Canberra, guardians are appointed by the ACT Civil and Administrative Tribunal, or ACAT. ACAT's decision-making process about whether or not they should appoint someone as a guardian is laid out in the Guardianship and Management of Property Act 1991. I'm not a lawyer and I'm not going to go through the legislation in detail, but later we will look at some basic principles for guardians that's laid out in the legislation. And those principles are really important to keep in mind whether you're a guardian yourself or you're a person who has a guardian who's been appointed for you, or if you're a friend or a family member who might have some concerns. So we are going to give some focus to those principles in the legislation, but that's a little bit down the track. All right, so just reiterating our first point about guardians is that a substitute decision-maker or a guardian is someone who has been legally appointed to be a guardian. So let's go on to the second point. The second point is, guardians only have the power to make decisions on behalf of the other person in matters that are clearly laid out in a document called a legal order. So basically being a guardian does not mean that the guardian has the power to make decisions about everything in the other person's life. In a sense, it's written down in the letter of the law, in in that guardianship order, and it's really often very specific where the decision-making is meant to be happening. Talking about all of this um, takes my mind back to those early supported decision-making podcasts, and I figured I'd tap into an old example that I used back there. So, Let's say you're somebody who's in a supportive relationship with a person. Let's say her name's Mary. Mary's 19 years old. She's thinking about studying to become a florist. She really loves flowers and she wants to work um, with flowers and make beautiful things. Mary's father, Paul, says he's her guardian and he's decided she can't enroll in the floristry course. He says he knows what's best for his daughter, and he knows that course is just going to be a waste of money and a waste of time. He simply won't allow it, and other people should butt out and mind their own business. There are a few things to consider in this scenario, and it's, it's not, sadly, not an unusual scenario. First of all, apart from Paul generally being pretty cranky, there's his claim that he's Mary's guardian. Now, Paul might presume that he's Mary's guardian because of the simple fact that he's her father. But Mary's 19 years old, so she's an adult. And Paul is only her guardian if he's been legally appointed to that role. So that's going back to that, that first point that we made. A guardian is a legally appointed person. So if Paul is isn't legally appointed as her guardian, then he actually has no legal say about Mary studying floristry. Now, he's her father, and he might have an opinion, and he might be inclined to want to share it with everybody, and he certainly has a say about the use of his own money if there was an expectation that he was going to be forking out money for the course. because it's his money. But if Mary wants to study floristry and she has the means to do that course, let's say it's a, an apprenticeship with government funding, then it's Mary's decision to make, and Paul has no say in the matter. All right, let's reframe this in another scenario. Let's say that Paul has been legally appointed as Mary's guardian. So that means that the matter's gone before ACAT, and ACAT cat has made a decision that Paul should be Mary's guardian and so there is an order in place. So there's a piece of paper that says Paul is her guardian and that piece of paper will say what are the matters where Paul is the person who will make decisions for Mary. So it's very clearly stated. So Paul's been appointed as a guardian. Does that automatically mean he has the power to make a decision about Mary's further studies well not necessarily if we look at the the legal order that's appointed Paul as Mary's guardian and let's say that he has the power to make decisions about Mary's accommodation so where she lives and who she lives with so sometimes that can be a matter where a guardianship order is in place and apart from that there's nothing else listed in the order so Paul is appointed as a guardian to make decisions about where Mary might live. That has nothing to do with Mary's education or her decision to study floristry. So it's outside his power as a guardian or substitute decision maker. So Mary can decide she wants to study floristry. It's her decision, her choice, and Paul doesn't actually have a legal say in the matter. So if decisions about education are not covered in a guardianship order, Mary has the right to make her decisions, to pursue her dream and to find out her skills and abilities in the world of of arranging flowers. So good on you, Mary. Okay, let's say Paul is a guardian and the order includes that he can make decisions related to Mary's education. So legally, According to the order, Paul can make the decision about her pursuing the floristry course. But does that mean he can simply decide whatever he likes and Mary has to live with it? That's certainly not the case. There are decision-making principles and these principles are laid out in Canberra legislation. They're laid out in the Guardianship and Management of Property Act. And those principles direct... How a guardian should go about their responsibilities. And a major focus of those principles is about upholding the wishes of the person who has the guardian. In legal documents, the person who has a guardian is called the protected person. Um, and that, that language, it's a little bit antiquated. And uh, I think there's quite a bit of debate about whether that's the best way of, of phrasing it. But right now in legislation, um, protected person is the language that's used. And, you know, maybe down the track there'll be a, a change to the language that's used there. So, these, these principles so, how a guardian should go about being a guardian, what a guardian should do when they're making a decision on behalf of another person, these principles are really important. And um, so I'm just going to go through them, just simply going to read from the ACT legislation because they're really important. Okay. So, A, the protected person's wishes, as far as they can be worked out, must be given effect to unless making the decision in accordance with the wishes is likely to significantly, adversely affect the protected person's interests. Okay, so let's just think about that. So the wishes of the, of the person, as far as they can be worked out, must be given effect to. So they need, the guardian needs to respect the wishes of the person who they are a guardian for. The wishes of that person need to be respected unless the decision or the wish of the the person is going to significantly adversely affect that person's interests. So if we think about that in terms of our example of Mary wanting to study to become a florist, you kind of wonder whether, whether an argument against her pursuing floristry could really hold when we look at that first principle. So is, is her studying floristry going to significantly adversely affect her interests? Maybe Paul might be able to summon up um, an argument about how it's going to adversely affect her interests. All right, so that's A. So the wishes of the person need to be respected, must be given effect to unless significantly adversely affect the protected person's interests. So B, if giving effect to the protected person's wishes is likely to significantly adversely affect the person's interests. The decision-maker must give effect to the protected person's wishes as far as possible without significantly adversely affecting the protected person's interests. So this is, again, this is a really interesting point if we stop and think about it. And I encourage, if you want to kind of really get your your head around these principles and then go to the legislation. We'll put in our description for the podcast, we'll we'll put a link to the legislation um, so you can actually read the principles and get your head around it. So what have we got here with B? If the decision is going to significantly adversely affect the person's interests, the decision maker must give effect to the protected person's wishes as far as possible. So, as much as what the person wants is possible without it having a significant adverse impact on them, then you need to do that. So, really, it's kind of there's there's some hard work in guardianship, in as much as it's about hearing the wishes of the person, respecting those wishes, and trying to make those wishes come to be as much as possible always with a mindfulness of what might be significantly adversely impacting them. So if it's going to put them in a worse place, then certainly there's there's a reason to make a decision that doesn't completely go with the wishes of that person. But as much as possible, the wishes of the person need to be respected and the decisions need to fit in with those wishes. Okay, C. If the protected person's wishes cannot be given effect to at all, the interests of the protected person must be promoted. So the legislation kind of goes, unpacks the definitions of these words, and especially um, the idea of the interests of the protected person, but kind of safety and well-being, health, all of those core aspects of, of a person having a good life, all of that needs to be promoted. It needs to be safeguarded in a way. So a guardian should never be making decisions that have an adverse effect on the person who they're making decisions for. They should never be undermining the well-being of that person. They should never be taking away from the safety of that person. They should never be taking away from from the person's sense of themselves and their value um, and all of those, those basic rights of a person. All right, D the protected person's life including the person's lifestyle must be interfered with to the smallest extent necessary so again this is really this is all about you know that guardianship might have a power but it is a very limited power and it has to be checked against these principles so the protected person's life their lifestyle how they choose to live The the person who they are, this might uh, venture into areas of sex, sexuality and gender, um, that a guardian must not interfere with that. And if there's decisions that are made that, that might have an impact, it must be to the smallest extent necessary. So respect for the person who has the guardian appointed to them has to be at the top of the list when it comes to priorities. E, the protected person must be encouraged to look after himself or herself as far as possible. So this is a really important one because it's about respecting the person as an individual. That as much as they're able to live their own life, make their own decisions, exercise their own choices, take care of themselves, that autonomy needs to be not just respected but supported. So the guardian, in a, in a sense, in a lot of ways, a good guardian is, is working towards making themselves redundant because the person is, regains um, that capacity to fully make all of their own decisions as, as much as that might be possible. Okay, final point, F. The protected person must be encouraged to live in the general community, and take part in community activities as far as possible so this is a, again this is really important because this if if a guardian is making decisions that are actually socially isolating a person if a guardian is making decisions where um, they're putting themselves in a position where uh, they're the only point of contact for the person, um, that's really problematic and that can can veer towards a, an abusive relationship, which is, of course, ultimately problematic. So a guardian needs to be encouraging and supporting the, uh, the person who they're a guardian for in being connected to community, in having friendships, relationships. So the, these principles that are there in the ACT, Territory Legislation, I encourage anybody who has a guardian, who is a guardian, who's maybe a family member or a friend, and you're seeing somebody who has a guardian appointed, get around that those principles, get, get into those principles All right, so when we look at those principles, the bottom line is the wishes of the person need to be heard and they need to be followed by the guardian unless they adversely, significantly adversely affect the person's interests. When we look at those principles, we can see that the intention of guardianship or substitute decision making is certainly not to sideline the so-called protected person. A core respect and reference to the wishes of that person regarding their choices about their life must be present when substitute decision-making happens. If the protected person's being anything but protected by the guardian, if their wishes are not being respected by the guardian, if decisions are being made carelessly, or they're driven by motivations that aren't focused on the best interests of the protected person, then the guardianship arrangement needs to be reconsidered, and it can be reconsidered. That's the important bit. So ACAT, the legal body that appoints guardians, can reconsider the issue of guardianship whether a person still needs to have a guardian or whether the guardian who's been appointed is actually the right person or if there's maybe a problem there in the relationship and another person might be uh, a better appointment as a guardian. So if you're a guardian, someone who has a guardian or a family member or friend, it's really important to have an awareness of the place of guardians in some people's lives. It's also important to keep in mind that that the appointment of a guardian has those conditions and it's it's meant to be directed by those principles that we went through. The range of a guardian's decision-making powers really specified in the legal document called orders and the wishes of the person who has the guardian must be given effect unless they significantly adversely affect that person's interests. People who have guardians have the right to apply for a review of their situation if there's a problem with the arrangement, if their rights are being railroaded, if they're being treated badly, if they're um, becoming isolated through the way that a guardian is, is carrying out their, their role, then there's a need for a review. In Canberra, the process for applying for a review happens through um, ACAT, through the ACT Civil and Administrative Tribunal. So if you live in Canberra, you can find more information on their website. If you're in another state or territory, you can check on the review processes with the government body uh, that created the guardianship order for you or for somebody who you know. If you're a person with a guardian and you feel that your wishes are not being heard, or the guardians exercising more power than they're meant to, then it might be worthwhile having a chat with an advocacy organisation. So if you're a person with disability, a disability advocacy organisation might be a good place to get in touch with. And if you're a family member or a friend of someone with a disability and you're seeing some things going on with a guardian that's waving red flags for you, then again, getting in touch with a disability advocacy organisation is probably a really good port of call. Preferably the person with disability themselves will make that contact because I know for ourselves, ultimately, we want to have the conversation with the person with disability. Getting things right on the guardianship front. Ensuring the rights of people who have guardians are being respected is, in fact, one of the roles of organisations like my own, Advocacy for Inclusion. If you have concerns, there are people who are there to help. We will put our contact information in the podcast description for people in Canberra. If you're in another state or territory, I suggest you visit the Disability Advocacy Network Australia, or DANA, website, and you'll find a really handy Find an Advocate button on their front page of their website. And again, we'll put a link to DANA's website in our description there. So that's a whole lot of words about guardians and guardianship, and hopefully it's helpful. It's one of those areas where it's, it's probably good to sit with um, something like those principles that we've got in our ACT legislation and really give it some thought and reflection, especially if you are a guardian. So when you're making a decision for somebody, have a look at those principles and, and let them be the guide that they're meant to be for you. And it's good to have a reference point to be able to check with, am I doing things the right way? Am I being a guardian in the way that guardians are meant to be operating? Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope it's provided some helpful information for you. I think the more we learn about guardianship, the more we get our heads around the principles of guardianship, the better we're able to actually have this system working for the benefit of the people who are being represented by guardians.